0: This is the Bitcoin and Markets Podcast. My name is Ansel Lindner, and I'm keeping you ahead of the curve in Bitcoin. Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to the show. Another episode here for you today. I'm trying to do more shows, but it's uh, putting out one major free newsletter every week. So make sure you sign up for that, the Fundamentals Report. And then I have my member newsletter that's been going out at least twice a week. And then I do probably one or two Podcasts a week. So some of those go to Patreon, some of those go to the public feed. You know, I'm trying to crank out as much content as I can. If you guys have suggestions of stuff you want me to talk about, hit me up on Twitter or on Discord and I will put that in the queue and I will talk about it as soon as I can. So today we're going to talk about some of the economic contagion still ravaging the world, obviously, from this uh, financial collapse that we're living through and the virus. So, of course, the virus didn't cause the collapse. The collapse was caused by the characteristics of the system. Um, It was just ready to collapse. For months before this, the whole thing broke out. I've been reporting that China was on the verge. China was on the verge looking at some different default things. I mean, the banks were having problems. Um, There was very clear signs that China was in the beginning stages of a financial collapse. And then this, of course, happened. And I said right away that this is the start of the next financial crisis. And now it's spread around the world again, not because necessarily the virus spread around the world, but because the whole system is so interconnected and so based on debt that there's no way to save it once it starts going down. I mean, without the virus, we might have had a little bit more time or we might have gone down a little slower, not so fast like we did. It was the fastest decline from all time high ever uh, in the stock market. Um, and of course, all of the reactions from the Fed that, that followed that. But uh, we, it still would have happened. It just might have been in more slow motion. I tried in all of my reporting on this or my content on this, mostly newsletters. I haven't really talked about it too much on the podcast, but um, it has always been centered around the economic part of this, the economic, sorry, the economic impacts and personal responsibility. Okay. So a prep list went out on my member newsletter. um, And after a prep list was on there for several weeks, then I changed it over to how to maintain your health and how to maintain your preps, make sure you rotate them out and stuff like that. And it's always been about personal responsibility Um, because I do believe in self-isolation, but not the boots on necks type of isolation or the type of quarantine. The best thing the government could have done to respond to this was slash, slash, cut, cut. They should have slashed regulation slash taxes Cut back on everything, and let the market, let the fricking free market roll, baby. And we would have been so much more prepared. Also, cutting back on censorship. I mean, this. Some. I was watching this from late January. It's like the last week of January when I really got heavy into this virus stuff. The censorship was unbelievable. People started calling this thing the Cervasa sickness. Or, uh, you know, had a different name for it. Because if you would have said coronavirus, your YouTube videos would be instantly demonetized or taken down. Many of them were actually fully taken down, and people were given strikes against their channels. You know, people were being blocked on Facebook. Even today, there was, um, I saw a tweet about somebody. Somebody major, I don't know, who, I forgot who it was now, but it was somebody famous that uh, was tweeting about this chloroquine stuff that I'm very bullish on. And uh, they had their Twitter accounts banned. I mean, there's still censorship going on here. Cut the censorship out, slash the regulations, slash the taxes, slash all this stuff. Like if you're going to do all these bailouts, just get rid of corporate tax, income tax. For six months and see what happens. (laughs) Let people be responsible for themselves. That would have uh, taken care of probably at least half of this problem. And, you know, the other half would have been people just organizing, self-organizing and wearing masks, basically taking responsibility for themselves, doing a little prepping, calmly preparing. We had a month and a half to calmly prepare before the shit really hit the fan here in the United States. Um, and it still isn't completely hit the fan in, in my city, which is a fairly large city in Florida. Uh, I mean, there's still 50% traffic on the roads. So it hasn't really hit everywhere. But anyway, this the economic collapse is going to continue apace. Uh, it is driven by the strong dollar. I believe it's the biggest macro trend of our lifetime. Uh, this whole dollar melt-up that's about to happen. I was on, uh, with Bitcoin magazine. So CK Christian, he, uh, invited me to be on their Periscope. They do like, I guess maybe it's every Friday. They do like a quarantine show, quarantine and drinks or something like that. And I was on there with a lot of really great people. Uh, and I was, you know, a little bit intimidated to be on there with some of the people that I highly, highly respect. Um, but everybody was bullish Bitcoin because they were bearish the dollar because of QE and stuff and i i just think all of those things are unconnected <laughs> so i i was the skeptic i was like how does this cause inflation we hit we don't see inflation we see stronger dollar you know that their answer would be oh well we'll eventually see inflation well when is eventually and what is the mechanism because obviously it's not working you know people have been saying this for ages i mean gold went up to 1900 i think at the top was in 2011 okay great 1900 then it came back down to almost a thousand i think it it hit like at least under 1100 so the dollar got stronger during that time right bitcoin continues to go up so the dollar is weakening against bitcoin but bitcoin is in a completely parallel world bitcoin will benefit from qe but not because the dollar is getting stronger it's benefiting from qe because they're destroying the market. There is no functioning market in the real world anymore in a traditional system. That there is no freaking market. There is no price discovery. And so as people uh get crushed under you know not having a market, that they will slowly trickle into Bitcoin and they'll bring their capital. And Bitcoin will go up. But not because the dollar is going down. The dollar is not going to go down. The dollar is going to go up. It's going to melt up. All other fiat currencies are going to inflate massively while the dollar chugs north. It might not be like, ah, you know, some parabolic move in the dollar, but the dollar is going to keep chugging north and all of these other fiat currencies are going to go down. That is the trade of our lifetimes, people this is we're living through historic times. Um, anyway, so I was a skeptic there. I also was a skeptic on some other things, but, uh, that's not here nor there. Uh, okay. Let's get back into this. So I have a, another article about the economic contagion, uh, that it keeps spreading around the world. I had a big Twitter thread that got to like a hundred tweets, um, just detailing out every day, uh, putting uh, one or two different articles about this economic contagion. And uh, it just got real long, so I stopped doing that. But uh, I'm still watching all this and talking about it on my Discord uh, and in my newsletters and everything. So anyway, this article is from Zero Hedge, and it is about China's consumer default tsunami has started. And I just wanted to read a little bit in here. Okay. As we feared, and as the, I think it's South China Morning Post reports, quote, a global consumer default wave is just getting started in China, end quote, as overdue credit card debt in China has soared by about 50% in February, while researchers at the Peterson Institute warn, as we did in February, that what is happening now in China is a, quote, preview of what we should expect throughout the world, end quote. Take the case of Zhang Chengzi. Like millions of people around the world, she borrowed money she thought she would be able to repay before the coronavirus changed everything. Now laid off from her job at an apparel exporter in the prosperous capital of East China's Xinjiang province, I don't can't pronounce these Chinese names. Uh, the 23-year-old is missing payments on 12,000 yuan, or about 1,700 dollars, of debt. On her credit card and an online lending platform operated operated by ant financial so that's interesting little tie-in is that ant pool i wonder so quote i'm late on all the bills and there's no way i can pay my debt in full zhang said zhang's story is playing out in similar ways across china and soon across the world where the virus outbreak has been taking lives and ravaging the economy for more than three months okay um this is exactly what I said was going to happen. You know, I've been talking about China for months. They were having problems with a lot of bank defaults. they were having problems with their credit markets. Um, just like in the U.S., they had this the repo thing. They were doing repo operations. They were doing QE, you know, or just straight up lending to businesses. So they were already in this financial crisis just about, you know, they were leading the way. And then this happened. And I said at the time, this will pop the bubble. This is the start of the financial crisis. And, uh, that's what we're seeing here. So I don't know why these guys said they, they, they warned us in February. I talked about it in January and I've been talking about China's debt problem probably since last summer that it started getting real bad. So uh, anyway, just another notch in the belt and another confirmation that this is the next Great Depression. Um, and it's started. So be prepared. All right, guys, I have one more quick article to get through. This one is from Bloomberg, and it's showing about how monetary policy doesn't work anymore and how we're going to see kind of the end of QE as a monetary policy weapon. I mean, this is just showing how the market does reassert itself. Okay. And this is from japan and they did start about two decades ahead of us in this grand experiment of monetary policy but uh i think we've pretty much caught up to them now and we're going to have similar outcomes here shortly that the headline here is japanese bonds are the hot ticket to get cheap dollars for banks a shrinking supply of japanese government bonds is causing havoc in money markets as the bank of japan continues to buy And dealers refuse to sell. Rates in Japan's repo market, where bondholders connect with investors looking to borrow them, hit a record Tuesday. The introduction of cheaper, more regular dollar swap auctions has generated huge demand for U.S. currency starved dealers who are keeping their JGBs to put them down as collateral. Quote, demand for JGBs as collateral and its importance now is heightening, said, oh God, I went from Chinese names to Japanese names. This one is Suchi Takayama, a rates strategist at SMBC, Niko Securities in Tokyo, in a telephone interview, quote, there is little incentive to sell to the BOJ because there are more effective ways to use the JGBs. The surge in demand comes at a time when the Bank of Japan is stepping up its own JGB purchases in its bid to provide liquidity to financial markets grappling with the worsening coronavirus outbreak. Net-net, that means less supply available for Japanese banks who have so far tapped over $150 billion in ultra-cheap dollar funding. Okay, so this is just saying that, you know, the demand is for dollars. They don't want the Japanese yen. They want dollars. And so they're using their JGBs to directly swap for dollars. Um, very interesting. For example, in the last week's first round of February's revamped dollar swap auctions, banks were able to borrow greenbacks for about three months at 0.37% a massive discount to the near 2%, it would cost them in the currency swap market. Here, I just want to point out, they are borrowing greenbacks at an interest rate. So what does that do to the broader demand for dollars? It increases. Because even though they're getting dollars today and their demand is temporarily satisfied, they have to have more dollars to pay back in the future, and yes, the interest rate is very low, 0.37 percent. It's not very much, but it's still more than they're getting. so the Fed cannot create inflation in that way because they're just pushing the demand into the future like a shovel blade. they're pushing the demand and it's getting bigger in front of the shovel, but they keep pushing uh, because I think that's the way to stimulate the economy. Anyway, let's see. Almost done here. The huge difference in available borrowing costs means JGB holders are loath to participate in the BOJ's bond purchases. Monday's operations across 5- to 10-year bonds saw the lowest offer-to-cover ratio on record. Other tenors also saw a sharp drop in the amount of bonds offered to sell. Quote, there is a risk that the BOJ offers may not get sufficient bids, said Takeyama. Players are also wary of actively participating ahead of the fiscal year end on March 31st. So it's very interesting that this is a sign of how QE dies. QE has lost effectiveness now in Japan. And this kind of flew under the radar. This story was from the 25th and it didn't get much play. Of course, I'll link to these articles in the show notes. And that's gonna do it, guys. Real quick episode for you. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Don't forget listener support a podcast. Go to patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. You can support the show, become a full member for five dollars, or just support it for as little as a dollar a month. Thanks guys. See you later.